0: GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand. Hello. Thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. Yesterday was the hottest winter's day ever recorded in Gibraltar. We get more details from Met Office forecaster Zoe Hutton. Resilient Minds starts in schools today. It's a programme funded by the GBC Open Day Trust and run by the charity Childline. And we find out more from Caroline Carter and Ines Verissimo. And what's the impact on a dog of abandonment? Eugenie Cottrell and Jill Jones join us with more details and tell us how you can help the Animals in Need Foundation. And I'll take the opportunity to ask them about a dog bite that's made the news. The owner of a pit bull that's bitten an infant aged just 10 months at the time has been charged with failing to keep her dog under control. The child required hospital treatment in Spain. All of that on the way. But first, our news editor Christine Vasquez is here, ahead of EU treaty talks resuming tomorrow, at least the official round of talks resuming tomorrow in London. But we know that a lot of the negotiations are reportedly happening on the social media app WhatsApp.
1: Well, um... This time last year, Jonathan, we was when we were in Madrid and we managed to speak to uh, Mr. Alvarez uh, at the time. He held a press conference while we were there. And uh, one of the interviews that we did while we were there was with the British ambassador in Madrid, Hugh Eli- Hugh, Elliott. Hugh Elliott. And uh, he said... Most of the negotiations were done unofficially. So, yes, WhatsApp, I mean, we do it ourselves, we know how, how very useful it is.
0: I mean, it's just a, a messaging app. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with it, but um, it's a messaging app, and 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 it's you know you, you you we use it to communicate with family, friends, but but also official work, businesses done. Uh, and uh, it's interesting because uh, we've heard also in the COVID inquiry in the UK that a lot of the communications around uh, the management of COVID for the UK government happened uh, on that messaging service. Um, it's, so it's it interesting really in that it really has become it, centre. The work
1: never stops. Because- because ah. WhatsApp carries
0: it on. Yeah, that's the flip side. No, You you, you might say, I'm not going to check emails, but um, WhatsApp you might be checking because you might be looking for a, mm. a message from a family f- or, or a or, or friend, family member or friend, and then all of a sudden you, you get a work request and, and it sort of um, blurs the, the lines into when work stopped and, and home life starts. That's but right. I'm
1: sure it's the same with the meetings.
0: Interesting. So so, uh, what do we know about tomorrow's talk then, uh, or, or round of negotiations, happening in London?
1: Happening in London. But what we do know is that um, what we know, because of um, Senor Alvarez having said it when he met his um, his UK counterpart, David Cameron, is that it is centering around the airports. Um, we've had a lot of papers pick up an interview with El País, where the Spanish Foreign Minister has said that the joint use of Gibraltar Airport is key, so that's what he, what he said. Um, how key? What the the nuances again is whether we're talking joint um, joint use, which is of course unacceptable to Gibraltar. We talk about enhanced use, which Gibraltar would accept, and Gibraltar would accept flights from the EU. It's whether it's joint use, how stuck is Spain, how entrenched is Spain on whether it wants joint use, whether they can find a solution that will offer that enhanced use. But at the moment, it does look like it is hinging on the airport. And as I said, this time... From,
0: from last the year, off, right? like from the moment that uh, we started talking about the New Year's Eve framework agreement from 2021. Which
1: doesn't include the airport, which is ironically doesn't include the airport.
0: So. But, but it was it was said that uh, it, almost immediately, I remember speaking to, to Sir Joe Bosano about uh, a, a hut, no? as, as I think Brian Reyes yeah, so at the el, Chronicle, el the, the Brexit shiringuito, uh, that uh, could straddle the, the line that separates Spain and from Gibraltar, and whether uh, passengers could arrive uh, in the Gibraltar airport but if they need Schengen clearance they could go effectively into Spain from from the Gibraltar airport Um, I I mean it's it's difficult because it's such a a big negotiation and the Chief Minister has to keep his cards close to his chest and um, and Sometimes we think we understand something, but we don't necessarily understand it.
1: But I, I think that that would happen to them as well. I think that things uh, do change, because every time we seem to be near, somebody thinks that they can slightly up the empty, perhaps ask for a bit more. Uh, I don't think we've had the same negotiation over these years, because if not, either something would have achieved or not. Hmm. So... Different parties are including more things, are taking more things out of it, um, and again, it is it depends who you speak to. I hear some people say that it's going swimmingly, and other people saying that they're having sleepless nights.
0: And uh, and we heard the the chief minister reflect on comments by the governor, uh, sat there exactly one week ago. Uh, he said, "Yes, of course we would would like for, uh, we, uh, of we would course we would, we would hope." That there would be a, a treaty an agreement in principle, even if the final treaty is not written uh, out an agreement in principle by and, by Christmas uh, and the chief uh, minister
1: has told us before that the minute that there's an agreement in principle it would be implemented we do not have to wait
0: it, it becomes before, effective no it,
1: yes we would not have to wait for the treaty um what we do have again it's just before Christmas and uh, I think it was exactly this time last year when we were in Madrid. Um, what we do have again is Spain slightly uh, dangling the, the 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 carrot and saying uh, slightly threatening. Um,
0: That's a stick, then, not a carrot. Huh?
1: Uh, well, yes, but doing doing a bit of both. A bit of both. A bit of both. You can have the carrot, or you can have. Oh, or, both. Or you sorry, have sorry. The I thought th- I thought you, you yeah. meant... Yeah, and uh, again, you know that uh, that mention from uh, Miss Alvarez saying. Uh, you can decide what you want. It's either this or the implementation of the EU legislation. And as we know, a lot of people are finding that EU legislation tough at the frontier.
0: I beg your pardon, I thought that's where you were going. I thought you were going yes. to tell us about yesterday's queue, which uh, actually um, built up quite significantly at, at around four thirty, five o'clock for, for motor- motorbikes for only, mo- no?
1: Yes, but I, I was referring more to the, the ID cards as well, and those because um, some people just find that they can't go Christmas shopping to Spain. And there are a lot of people, you see it on social media, but well, no, no vaya paña, you know, stay at home. But a lot of people do want to go. They, they want to go to Spain shopping. They want to go to La Gañada. I mean, it's choice. And a lot of people are having that choice curtailed by that supposed EU Brexit legislation.
0: Okay, so in short, tomorrow, uh, the latest official round of talks in London for a future relationship agreement um, between the EU and the UK about Gibraltar. Uh, And are we expecting there to be uh, an early Christmas present, un regalito?
1: I wouldn't think so. I, I, I mean, who, don't hold who, your breath. Who, who am I to say? I wouldn't know, but I wouldn't think so. Even if something were arranged, um, I mean, it would be great. We have heard the chief minister talking to you about there being significant dates. Uh, we, we tend to think that those dates are more linked to what's happening at the EU in terms of presidency and in terms of commission changes. Um, but I, I wouldn't. I mean, put it this way: my money is not on an early Christmas present.
2: Gibraltar
0: Today with Jonathan Scott. The Animals in Need Foundation says it's struggling to keep up with the number of dogs who need rehoming. The charity has met with the Minister for the Environment, John Gordes, to discuss their wish list for change. Uh, What's it all about? Let's find out now from Eugenie Cottrell and Jill Jones. Thank you so much. For joining us, uh, so let, let's start from the top, if you like. Um, for somebody who's not familiar with the Animals in Need Foundation, tell us a little bit about yourselves.
3: We've, uh, we're a Gibraltar registered charity, and for nine years, we're, our very small team has been assisting the authorities with the rehoming of abandoned and stray dogs. And in addition, we've been um, we've been making dogs helping to make dogs legal, and we've been arranging um the veterinary care of of dogs in need
0: okay and uh, and you're a group of how many people more or less small charity we're
3: very small really the the day to day team is about 8 Eight people, there's eight of us, but okay. we all have full-time jobs, so we, we do this after work.
0: And all animal lovers, to yes, state the obvious. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <no? Definitely. laughs> um, okay, uh, let's bring in Jill. Jill, we, we heard there a little bit about um, abandonment being a, a problem uh, that's affecting the charity at the moment, and, and dogs are suffering as a result, no?
2: Yes, absolutely. What we're seeing in Gibraltar is an uplift in people either who are abandoning their dogs or who are turning to us looking for help because they can no longer look after their dogs. They're either very elderly, they're looking to go into hospital or they're already in hospital in some cases and it's their family who are reaching out to us to say they have a dog that's that's no longer got an owner. Can we help either temporarily or longer term? And unfortunately, in a lot of the cases is we homing those dogs permanently. Mm. So it's, a, I think, a problem that's maybe not always that visible in Gibraltar, but it, it does happen. We've had to rehome over 30 dogs from Gibraltar this year.
0: Uh, wow, there's just this year, so that, yeah. that is a significant number. But I suppose, um, uh, and, and I know that you don't want to judge people who may feel that their their circumstances no longer allow for them to look after a dog but um if there were to be a scale of easier to understand and harder to understand it's easier to understand if somebody becomes um you know sort of due to their age or their health less capable of looking after their pet yeah. um but, but but I suppose it, it, it the challenge for for in terms of rehoming it remains the same no?
3: Really, and it comes down to finance as well. And I mean, how are we going to do it? What do we do with the animal? What does the animal need? How long is it going to take for us to rehome? And I, I think it's important to emphasize that in the nine years that we've been doing this work, there's been a lot of heartbreaking situations. And in Gibraltar, we tend to think at times when we explain this to people, they're a bit shocked, saying, oh, that doesn't really happen in Jib. Well, actually, it does. Right. We've seen dogs that have been starved to death. We've seen dogs that have been thrown out of balconies. No. We've seen dogs that have lived all their lives in tiny cages in flats that have never left. (sighs) Um, Dogs actually that haven't had any fur. Dogs that do not know what it's like to go for a walk. What do you mean, no
0: fur? No fur.
3: No, we've. I mean, it's shocking to see a dog that has all its fur has fallen off because the dog has never gone out. Stress or. Stress and not eating properly. So, I, I mean. This was a few years ago. And we we assisted the police when they removed three dogs from a flat in Gibraltar.
0: That, that's and, animal cruelty.
3: Absolutely, and I think this this is this is um, has been really one of the triggers um, for us to reach out to Minister Cortés with our wish list um, for amendments in Gibraltar, which obviously include legislative change, but in addition, in additions, um, changes like a, a policy, a system for whistleblowing where people because obviously we live in a very small community mm-hmm. and there's people who are scared to report to the police or, or to file the reports or to reach out. So it's somewhere that the, the authorities would somehow um it would trigger an investigation into animal neglect and anim, animal cruelty. So it's it there's there's different um suggestions that we've put to to the minister and he's we're very we're thrilled that he's taken that on board. And we're supporting him with all this change that he is going to be implementing.
0: So you have some sort of commitment that he wants to to bring about some of those changes.
3: Absolutely, we're, we're, we were delighted that it actually made this uh, our proposals made made their way into the the government's manifesto, which is now, as we know, a policy document. And we've actually met with their lawyers already to start discussing the practical effect of the changes to legislation. I mean, significantly is the fact that animals will be recognized as sentient beings. Currently, they are considered property. Right. So, so this extends beyond is the animal eating, is, does the animal have, have water, to the emotional and mental um, welfare of the animal. And this is obviously a consideration that will have to be taken place as all other changes in legislation are going to be made.
0: And, and let me just play devil's advocate for a moment, just to, to, to make things particularly clear. Why why should we extend those rights to a dog?
3: Because it this represents how we as a community, what we're like as a community, because it's how we treat our most vulnerable that that shows us what we are like. Um, and this will also, I mean, we're... We, are, we will be moving, we will be on a par with the legislation in other jurisdictions, for example, that
2: of the UK.
0: Uh, and Jill, dogs are emotionally intelligent?
2: I think anyone who's been around um, a dog and lots of other animals as well, couldn't really be any doubt about that in terms of how, how they react, um, how they respond to to warmth and to being treated harshly. Um, it's commonly thought on. As Eugenie said, this is legislation that's already in place in the UK. Um, So it's really more than about their basic needs, but about making sure that they have a reasonable standard of life, really. So, yes.
0: So you want that um, and you expect it now to be enshrined in law. uh, And and what will then some of the practical effects of that be? So So we've heard Eugenie talk about the need for a uh, sort of whistleblowing pathway to make sure that people who suspect that there might be a, a dog being abused, can, the authorities can find out about it, but, but what else are we talking about?
2: Exactly that, and I think it's also things like how... Um if if it's a sentient being rather than an item, how it's treated in law as well. So if the police take action, if you've had your car stolen, your car is then impounded. If it's returned, if it's found, that can happen to dogs as well. If If there's some criminal activity and it's contested or civil activity involving a dog, then it's treated at the moment like any other piece of property, which can cause additional unwarranted and unintended suffering to the dog but the police have to follow the law and, and at the moment as Eugenie said the dog is just treated as if it was a, a computer or a phone that's been stolen or mistreated or abandoned whatever and that's what we want to change so that the dog's welfare is taken into account in any decision that's made going forward.
0: It sounds sentencing like a really positive. Yes sentencing, as well. yeah, sentencing yeah, provisions exactly.
3: as well so that there is a ban so that, that can actually be implemented the ban on, on owning or, or controlling animals um, if, if obviously there is a conviction for cruelty,
0: okay, and. Let me uh, sort of pause this conversation about the Animals in Need Foundation, if you don't mind, and and let me just ask you, as animal lovers, um, you know, we, we heard you sort of confirm the obvious that uh, that you do uh, love dogs, um, but um, tell us a little bit of what you think about the uh, this dog bite that we're reporting on. Uh, the owner of a pit bull uh, said to have bitten a Todd, uh, an infant, an infant who was ten months old at the time, uh, who then required hospital treatment in Spain. Um, uh, thankfully we don't get too many of these in Gibraltar but but what's your sort of response to that?
2: I think absolutely it feeds into responsible dog ownership it actually goes hand in hand with what our agenda is which is having dogs licensed with responsible owners um, in looks after an appropriate way um, within our own jurisdiction, and people able to, if they have a cause for concern, whistleblow report, um, and that would include if they thought their dangerous dog was there. I mean, would obviously against any dangerous dogs as much as anyone else would be. It, it ends up with dogs all being tarred with the same brush when incidents like this happen. So, but really, the legislation should encompass all aspects, including including dangerous dogs.
0: Uh, let me ask you. Um, I'm a parent of, of two young children uh, who who are naturally quite drawn to dogs. And and, and I always sort of find myself battling between, you know, let them enjoy, you know, this this um, encounter, uh, and and on the other side thinking like, oh, you know, like I don't know this, I don't know this dog. Like, what you know, what 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 advice, what practical advice would always you have? Always ask
3: the owner, yeah. ask always the dog ask. owner. Is it okay? Can the children touch the dog? Can we? I I think that would be a good start.
0: And and most dog owners know. The, are quite sensible with the advice that they, yeah. they would give no? like whether they get excited or, or...
3: Yeah. and whether it's an appropriate meeting an appropriate next step sure,
0: ok uh, um, right, let's get back to the Animals in Need Foundation uh, we, we've been talking about um, a wish list that you're, you're working on with the um, uh, Environment Minister John Cortez um, for changes to legislation you're working with the lawyers you said um, what, what are the next steps do you think?
3: I think the next step is obviously, I mean, this is the beginning of an ongoing process. So I, I think um, we're waiting to hear back from from the government's lawyers. And I think this, this, this is very much an initiative for, for the year that's coming.
0: Good. Um, okay, so 2024 is sort of hopefully, yes. we're going to see significant process yes. with it. Uh, yes. Progress, okay. And um, before I let you go, uh, you're a charity after all. How how can people help? What what sort of um, messaging uh, are you putting out uh, at uh, this important time of the year?
3: Well, um, we need actually it's a flag day this Friday, so we <laughs> we desperately need help. So please just email us if if you can you can assist. We're very keen. We need foster. We need fostering of dogs. We ideally adoptions for if you know you can offer a good home. Um, corporate sponsorship, personal sponsorship, donations and and awareness really of you know, of of Gibraltar as it is and and the needs that there is in this community
2: to review animal welfare
0: Right, Jill, final word? Yeah,
2: I would definitely say um, it's it's almost Christmas upon us and we spend a lot of money on a lot of plastic things that maybe we don't need um, and won't need going forward, I'd say it's not really about that Christmas. It's about supporting your local charities, making a difference. If you want to make a difference, you can genuinely save lives by supporting dogs, by fostering dogs. I fostered my first two puppies this time of year, five years ago, and I've never looked back since. (laughs) It's amazing. So, you know, welcome the spirit of Christmas into your heart and then open it to a dog if you can. On Radio
0: Gibraltar and on GBC Television... Gibraltar today with Jonathan Scott we're going to tell you about resilient minds which is a program that childline is running in schools it's uh, starting right this minute in fact just 1:30 uh, was the uh, the targeted start time so uh, we'll find out in what schools it's happening it's an initiative that has been funded by the GBC Open Day Trust and hopes to empower students from the uh, well in the school years Two through until seven, uh, and uh, they're being given skills to navigate life's challenges. And here to tell us a little bit more is the Childline Chief Executive, Caroline Carter. Good afternoon, Caroline. Good afternoon. And also the... Community Coordinator uh, for the charity, Ines Verissimo. Good afternoon, Ines, and uh, thanks for being here. Good Uh, afternoon. So tell us a little bit about
4: um, Resilient Minds. So this, as you rightly said, is a programme which has been funded by the GBC Open Day and we're delivering it in collaboration with the Department of Education. And we're so proud of this programme because our aim is to intervene early into children's lives, to give them skills to cope with life's challenges which they will come across and what, what
0: sort of challenges do you have in mind I mean life events
4: yeah like everyday challenges we some times during the months you have small challenges sometimes are big challenges and for different children what might seem small for one person is quite big for another child so our aim is to provide children with a different range of toolkits of options that they can use to be more resilient and cope with different problems.
0: So an everyday challenge might be uh, peer pressure, sort of something that uh, they might feel is borderline bullying. What do they do? No?
4: Exactly. So skills to help them cope and also where to turn to when the problem becomes too big for them and they need extra help. And this will increase in different skills depending on their age. So it's more age appropriate is one of our key And the background for this program has come about because Childline, when we first began 17 years ago, we just had our helpline. And the nature of the calls that we get from when we began to where we are now is that mental health in children, the calls that we're getting has increased significantly. And so what we as a charity are trying to do is intervene earlier. We know that there's been a rise in mental health issues and we want to provide children with skills to be more resilient so that the problem doesn't become a crisis. We know that if adult mental health issues start occurring by the time a child is age 14, let's try and help them earlier. Let's try and show them that there is a community of support, a wide range of places to signposts and different skills that they can use to cope with it before they become a crisis. And so this is where this program has arisen from and responding to community needs. All
0: right. Uh, and uh, tell us, if, let's bring in Ines. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, how it's going to be delivered, sort of practically. You're going into schools?
5: We're going into schools. We're working closely with the education department and with the schools of Gibraltar. We're just starting today at St. Bernard's Upper Primary with a year three workshop. These workshops are delivered in a school setting in a small class, so not in a big assembly. And today's workshop is all about emotions and um, affirmations, positive affirmations. How can I recognize my emotions? How can I express my emotions in a more positive way? Uh, what do I tell myself as well? Uh, how my emotions can impact my actions. So this is what today's workshop is all about. It's uh, it's delivered in a school in a class timing, so 45-50 minutes, um, it will be delivered, it will be offered to every school in Gibraltar and schools are slowly booking in.
0: Ah, excellent, uh, so so that's hence working with the Department of Education and then in the actual classroom, is it Childline that delivers the, the learning, uh, but but sort of with the teacher Yes, there we to...
5: facilitate the sessions, so we go, our team goes with uh, some help from our volunteers, We deliver the session, we facilitate the discussion, it's all about facilitating the discussions and at the end of the day for children to take those discussions to the wider community, to their home, and how can they recognize their emotions.
0: Okay, and um, tell us a little bit about some of the more uh, common emotions that young people need help sort of processing and, and coming to terms with.
5: Well, first they need to be able to have the proper vocabulary for their emotions. They need to be able to recognize them and to to express because we all have our frustrations, we all have our insecurities. We all have small challenges that we need to overcome and it's about how can we overcome that and the positive attitude that we can have towards the small challenges. Do we look at at it as fearless or can we look at it in a more courageous way in thinking I may not be able to do this today but I will be able to do it tomorrow. I'll just need some improvement.
0: So um, being realistic and and being okay to, to feel, feeling like it's okay to be a bit vulnerable and, and accept that you don't have to, um, you know, I don't know, meet, meet the challenge head on every time, every day, no?
5: No, that won't be possible. So it's all <laughs> for, about... For any of us, yeah. For any of us. So for a small child and also would like to emphasize how mistakes are part of the learning process. Mistakes are what makes us improve are a personal growth and they're not not to be looked at as a failure and how can we overcome that in order to perceive our dreams and our goals
0: and you talked about there about the language and helping um young people to develop the vocabulary necessary to sort of be able to talk about the way they're feeling and what to do with it and uh, sometimes you know, you know when you talk to young people uh, they can have good language skills yes. but it doesn't necessarily mean that their emotional intelligence is going to be similarly impressive no they're, they're they are two there are two different things there no? and, and being able to understand what they're feeling Um, It won't necessarily, their ability to do that won't necessarily match their ability to hold a conversation about, you know, sort of something every day, something other than their emotions.
4: You're absolutely right. They are two distinct areas, and it's something that we are trying to just support. For example, the schools already do some great work in articulating emotions. They do great work in the PSHE, and we're coming in to just support them in building our students up to become citizens who are more resilient and able to cope. And using a charity like ourselves as Childline, using all our professional training, we've got a team of greatly skilled people, as Ines has rightly articulated, a team of staff and volunteers to come in with these external resources to complement what's already been delivered. We'll ensure that we're able to provide our students, our young people, with not just the awareness of their feelings, and the language, but also the tools to cope with the problems when they arise so that they are built up in a holistic way.
0: And you, you said earlier, Caroline, that um, th- there is a rise in um, uh, mental health Issues, uh, paraphrasing what you said, but uh, a rise in mental health issues among young people. Um, Is that sort of anecdotal? Is that in Gibraltar or, or more generally?
4: It's very interesting that you mentioned that. And I think it's also got to do with there being less stigma around talking about mental health issues. And so children are growing up in a place where it's safer to talk. And as an organization, we pride in trying to promote to children that Childline is a safe place for them to talk about feelings and so that in line with a bigger picture when we speak to our Childline UK colleagues and we talk about our contacts on our helpline and our services we know that in Childline UK their general trend is that children are talking about mental health a lot more and we are when we discuss about the reasons there are obviously it's very complex to know why this is happening um, there is an element of COVID increasing issues, um, academic pressures, and social media pressures, all becoming more pertinent in children's lives than before. But the reasons will be complex. But all we feel um, honoured is that children feel safe enough, increasingly, to talk about worries, and we want them to be able to open up. We want parents to know that Childline is a safe place for their children to talk about the problems, and we will signpost them as professionals where is appropriate and encourage them with the language as Ines says to be able to talk about it with their parents to talk about it with their teachers and their professionals and that's that's part of our holistic vision
0: okay and um, I suppose uh, talking about mental health is important uh, and we're definitely doing that more as you said uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there are mental health issues. No, because it's, it's, you know, it's just part of coming to, to, to terms with understanding why we're feeling the way we're feeling. I mean, it, it wouldn't equate to, for example, uh, a rise in um, necessarily in, in um, medical uh, diagnoses of um, anxiety or, or, or something similar among children. We, th- we haven't seen that that rise in 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 diagnoses no
4: perhaps i'm not sure about gha statistics in terms of official medical diagnosis but what we find on our helpline when we talk about a rise in mental health type calls is when children are talking to us about self-harm suicidal ideation um significant areas where we're leading to referring them they need some more medical support and so we've seen a a rise for that
0: that that is that is something that needs uh, yeah uh, Support and- yes,
4: so it's not just I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling low. These are more high-end things. And when they talk about issues, for example, um, difficulties they might be having in a family context or with friends, we would categorise that in a way that, that's about relational issues, peer relationships or family. So when we as Childline talk about mental health issues increasing, we're saying that children are talking to us more about um anxiety, not just stress, um, more but, like depression but, than sadness. Uh, so, so what, that might be a normal suicide. response,
0: uh, that might be a normal response to the pressures of society. But, but there, there are other things as well. No? That, exactly. That, yeah, that yes. accompany it.
4: Exactly.
0: Okay, uh, and let's bring it back to, to resilient mind specifically. Then, um, starting in St Bernard's this afternoon, what other schools have signed up and? Uh, if somebody's listening to this, are they still in time? to?
5: Yes, they're absolutely in time. Hopefully we will deliver at least one workshop per, month, per term. So we started with year three. I know that St. Hans is already booked in for next term as well. Uh, St. Joseph's, but I don't know on the top of my head every everyone. But yes. All the all the schools have been approached and they will we're building slowly. So we'll start with year three, we'll move to year two and and then to year four. So hopefully in a period of time we'll have from year two to year seven and we have engage with all these children
0: and and that's more or less what 7 to 15 year olds being um, been uh, sort of targeted
5: uh, it's yeah. from about 6 year olds to 12 year olds
0: Six to to twelve, but yes. okay. Uh, and uh, and and I suppose then there are a variety of challenges depending on on the age and and the
5: yes, courses tailored a bit. The, yes, it's definitely tailored uh, age accordingly. So now with year three, we're working on emotions. With year two, we'll be working on dreams and our goals. What's the vision that we have for our future? With um, older children, we can work on different things on personal boundaries, how can I set my boundaries Um, that obviously has an impact on peer pressure how can I deal with peer pressure and how can I actually express my boundaries in a safe way? So what, like
0: um, a physical space, but also sort of like how much you might tolerate teasing, for example?
5: Yeah, Exactly. How can I express my boundary that I won't allow you to tease me or to bully me? And how can I do this in a healthy and positive way?
0: So that's a very empowering message, you not know, to be able to let a young person know how to deal with a difficult social situation that unfortunately... Uh, almost all children will encounter at some point
5: yes at some point
0: behaviour that they don't like from a peer which who might be a friend or, or, or at least somebody they know but who is behaving in a way that they don't like yeah very interesting um it must be quite rewarding no, as well to, to go in I mean I, I don't know do you get like a a nice response I mean I know that you've just starting the course now but uh, are you hoping and, and from similar programs maybe that you've run do you get uh, like immediate feedback from the young people that that you know you think oh yes this this has been useful they, they've they've they got it
5: Yes, you do. When you go into schools and you work with the children. Obviously, uh, if we work at Childline, it's because we really enjoy and really feel rewarded and feel the joy working with children. And, um, And they always tell something. They always bring a message to the table, which is very rewarding. Um along the few years that I've been working with Childline, uh, schools are always, always very positive to, with us and they're always welcoming. And so that's also very positive. We just want to kind of complete the work that it's already being done in schools, which is very positive in well-being and resilience.
4: And the other thing I'd like to add is that while we get that immediate Um, impact that we know children might have benefited from that one session that day what we're hoping with this program is that by working over a period of years because we're hoping that a child in year two will kind of have a session this year next year when they're in year three they'll have another session year four, five, six, seven. is over a long period of time we're equipping our students from an early intervention early on with tools and skills and we're building that language and increasing the complexity as we go along so there's a long term impact in this program also.
0: And and you partnering with teachers and the Department of Education so hopefully there are are tools that they might be able to draw from uh, in between those sessions as well.
4: Absolutely that's exactly right so we are here to collaborate with the school to supplement their delivery and by bringing in these external resources we're not just delivering that immediate session like today and as the weeks progress but they'll be able to have additional resources should they want to expand on those topics with those students because we know that different things will come up and for different students, different things are more important than others. (laughs) But the teachers will know that because they're with those students each and every day.
0: Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. You may have heard that yesterday was the hottest day ever recorded for a winter, uh, in the winter period since records began locally in 1947. According to Met Office Gibraltar, the rock hit a historic high of 25. And uh, more details now from the forecaster at the Met Office, Zoe Hutton.
6: The start of this week has seen record-breaking temperatures across the rock. At the airfield, the temperature peaked yesterday at 25 degrees Celsius, 0.3 Celsius higher than the previous record of 24.7 degrees, recorded back in December 1989. On average, the maximum daily temperatures we can expect in Gibraltar in December is 20.5 Celsius, though this too is on the rise, with the average maximum daily temperature over the last 30 years being 20.9 degrees Celsius in December. In addition to being the warmest December day on record, it's also the warmest winter day on record, and surrounding areas have been equally as warm. Al Jazeera's also reported a maximum temperature of 25 degrees Celsius yesterday afternoon. Today, temperatures are recovering to a little above average with maximums of 21 degrees Celsius expected across the rock before turning cooler over the weekend with highs of, six, of 16 or 17 Celsius expected later on this week.
2: Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kellyanne Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one.
0: GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand.